Amen. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that, uh, as Cassidy mentioned earlier, that none of us would leave here the same. Lord, life, fullness of life is to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we are, we are saturated, saturated with the truth that you first loved us with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, if there's ever a time that we've loved you more than we love you today, let us repent and return to the first works. If we've never loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we pray that today would be catalytic, Lord. It would be monumental. We would encounter you. Lord, teach us today as we dive into Hebrews chapter 11 to walk by faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to see you guys. Thank you all so much for being here. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Hebrews chapter 11. There's a Bible in front of you. As I've said before, just go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and flip left a few books. You'll find yourself in Hebrews. We've been walking through Hebrews in this series that we've called Be Bold. Because Hebrews is all about the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. This one sacrifice, this one sacrifice that's completely and entirely and utterly sufficient. And through this one sacrifice, we are perfected. We are forgiven. We are clothed in the very righteousness of God. And this perfection endures forever. This Perfection is a result of the one sacrifice. We cannot add to it and we cannot sustain it. It is Christ and we are attached to this perfection in Christ through faith in him, not works. That's the essence of Hebrews chapter 1 through 10. And it gets really exciting is now we hit Hebrews chapter 11 because this righteousness, this perfection that the Lord has given us is a seed of the Holy Spirit. And like any seed, a seed bears fruit. If you plant an apple seed, you're going to have fruit called apples. If you plant an orange seed, you're going to grow oranges. If you plant a cherry seed, you're going to grow cherries. And if we're given the seed of the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation, we are perfected forever. And in this life now, this, this season that we walk with Christ on this earth as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going through sanctification and the seed of the Holy Spirit begins working his way out. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a life of faith. And that's Hebrews chapter 11, how to walk in a life of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, this is our text, and we read, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me read it again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In game 5, of actually the fifth inning of the third game of the 1932 World Series, Babe Ruth stepped up to bat in Wrigley Field, and with his bat, maybe you've seen a clip of this, with his bat, he pointed to center field. And then on the very next pitch, Babe Ruth swings, and he hits the baseball a home run to center field. It won the game for the Yankees and is is known as the the greatest home run in history. Wasn't that cool? I mean, before he hit, he called it exactly where he was going to hit his home run, and the next pitch, that's where he hit his home run. That is a picture of being assured of that which has not yet happened. That's a picture of a conviction of that which is in your heart. It's a conviction of boldness. And for us, it's a picture of faith. Faith is the conviction that God is able to accomplish 
what he has put in our heart. Faith is the absolute unwavering assurance that God is able to fulfill what he has promised to us. Faith is a conviction. It's an assurance that God, emphasis, God is able to perform exactly what he has promised us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and we can break it down. You have an outline. Faith is the assurance in what we hope for. Faith is the confidence about what we do not see. There's a story about this rural community, and they were in a drought, and they were in desperate need of rain. And so the ministerial alliance that had various denominations got together, and they said, let's tell our congregations to, 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 to assemble on, on a certain day of the week at a certain time, and bring your articles of faith, and we are going to pray for rain. Well, so at the appointed time, uh, the, the entire town showed up representing their various denominations, and they had their articles of faith, their, their symbols of faith. The Catholics had their rosary beads, the, the Baptists came with their Bibles, the Charismatics came with their tambourines and their, their banners, and they prayed and prayed for rain, and it didn't rain. No rain, not even a cloud. And so they all left discouraged. Well, this little girl in the town, she, was, uh, she, she got the time wrong. So about an hour after everybody else left, she showed up with her symbol of faith, and she began praying. And as she prayed, the, the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind picked up, and then it started pouring down rain. And then she held up her symbol of faith. It was an umbrella. And that umbrella was the assurance of her faith. It was, the, it was the conviction that what she prayed for would come about. You see, everybody had action that day, but only one had assurance. Everybody kind of showed up in their religious activity with a sense of show, showmanship, but one person had substance to their faith. Everybody had motion as they engaged in their religious activity, but she had conviction. And nothing pleases God more than we, when we walk in a conviction, when we walk in assurance that what God said is going to happen is about to happen. And there's no other way to please God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Faith. Hebrews eleven six, 6. And without faith, without this assurance... That what hasn't happened yet is going to happen because God has whispered it to our heart? Without this confidence that what we only see in our heart is about to be seen with our eyes because God is faithful, without this faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please Him. It doesn't matter how much activity, how much commotion, how much religious uh, showmanship that, that we may have, if we don't have the assurance, the conviction, the confidence that God is going to perform what he said he was going to perform, then it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God with a whole lot of re religious activity, but without re conviction, without a deep, heartfelt conviction that God is going to accomplish what he whispered in our heart. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and watch this, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we see 
that this faith, this assurance, this conviction, this confidence, it brings a smile to the heart of God. I mean, do you guys want to live a life that pleases God? Do you want to stand before God one day and hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant in whom I am well pleased? Do you want to bring joy to the heart of God? I know that God is immutable and he's unchanging, he's entirely self-sufficient without, within, the, within the fellowship of the Trinity, but did, did you know that we can still affect the heart of God? The Bible says that when one sinner repents, there's joy in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? Jesus. We can bring Jesus joy. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. When we allow things to come in between us and our relationship with God, we kindle God's jealous. We can kindle God's anger. We can kindle God's joy. We can bring a smile to the heart of God. The one who loved us and gave himself up for us. We can bring peace and joy and a smile to the heart of God when we walk by faith. And any time we have this assurance, this conviction, this confidence that God is going to do what God said he was going to do, even if that confidence is inconsistent with our feelings or our circumstances. In fact, especially if that confidence is inconsistent with our feelings and our circumstances, when we have this confidence that God is going to do what God has whispered in our heart, it brings a joy to his heart. And he smiles upon our walk of faith. And this walk of faith will always produce verbs. This Hebrews chapter 11 is called the great chapter of faith or the hall of faith. And if you read through it and you just circle or you underline all of the verbs, look at how this conviction, this confidence that people had that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, even though what he said he was going to do was inconsistent with their circumstances or contradicted their circumstances and contradicted everything that everybody said when they still had the conviction that God was going to come through because God is faithful, because God cannot lie. It produced verbs in their life. And you walk through Hebrews chapter 11, you read that some of the verbs are, it produces an understanding of who God is and what God has done. It causes us, as Abraham did, to offer up things that are dear to us to God as an offering. It causes people like Enoch to be taken up, to go from one place to another because we're walking in, in, in assurance. It causes Noah to construct or to build. And so when we're walking in this assurance, we build on behalf of God and it causes us to obey. Abraham obeyed, and it causes us to receive power and, again, to offer up. And as Moses did, it causes us to refuse passing pleasures of this world. And it's impossible for our lives to bring a smile to the heart of God if we don't have a conviction, a confidence, and assurance that God is going to do what God said he was going to do. But when we have this conviction, we begin living out verbs. Faith brings a smile to the heart of God, but not only that, the life of faith is richly rewarded by God. Sometimes people say, well, if God is sovereign, which God is, and if God is going to do what God is going to do anyway, then why pray? If God is going to do what God is going to do anyway, then why have faith? Because God is not going to do what God is going to do anyway. God is going to do what God is going to do in response to our faith. And when, when God sees a life that's being lived out with the verbs of faith, he richly rewards those steps of faith. We read it in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it's impossible to please God, and God is a rewarder 
There it is right there. He rewards those who seek him. So God is not going to do what God is going to do anyway. God is going to reward us and bless us in response to our placing faith in him and seeking him and living out these verbs. And what does that reward look like? I, I, I don't know the details of it, but I know this much. You won't be disappointed. And I, I know that when God responds to our faith and he rewards our faith, not only will you not be disappointed, but it will exceed anything that you would dare ask or imagine. It is more than you could think or ask or imagine. It will either be in this life or the life to come. But when God richly rewards our steps of faith, it brings a smile to his heart. And those rewards are going to be more than we imagine. But know this, the rewards are his business. The responsibility to walk by our faith is our business. The rewards are God's business and in God's time frame. But the responsibility to take steps of faith is our business and now. And the time frame for that is now. I was talking to a good buddy of mine, he's a church pastor, a, a church planter, that he recently planted a church, and man, he was discouraged, and it's just, it hasn't been unfolding the way he, he anticipated, and it's been, it's been really hard, it's been really tough, and I was just like, and here's the thing, here's the thing, and he, he mentioned something like, you know, they, you know, maybe they should close the doors, and you know, maybe he's just trying to avoid a failure or whatever, and he was just really downcast, and I, I said, here's the thing. In the kingdom, the responsibility is up to us. The results are up to God. And what God does with our steps of faith is his business. And there is no success or failure. There's only obedience and disobedience. Did you hear that? In the kingdom, in God's agenda, there is no success and there is no failure. There is only obedience and there is only disobedience. That would make perhaps a television evangelist that you've seen, you know, with a, maybe a stadium full of people who's preaching flat out, straight up heresy, successful. And that would make somebody like Jim Elliott, who was uh, martyred by the Ecuadors in uh, martyred by the Acas in Ecuador, who never led one Aka to Christ, but rather his family did after him, a complete failure. Is that right? Is a televangelist with the packed crowd who preaches heresy a success? Is Jim Elliott a martyr who didn't lead one Aka to Christ a failure? Absolutely not. In the kingdom, there's only obedience or disobedience, and the results are up to God. Look at some of the results of uh, people who walked by faith. They took steps of faith, not knowing the details of the reward. Some received the reward in this life. Some were brutally beat down in this life, but they received the rewards in the next life. But the key was that they were taking steps of faith, and God was pleased with their life. The greatest reward, the greatest reward is not pats on the back or acclimates in this life. The greatest reward is to hear our Lord and Savior say, well done, my good and faithful servant in whom I am well pleased. And I have, I have discovered over the years that when I am least popular in this world, I'm probably living by faith and bringing the biggest smile to the heart of God. So let's just forget about what rewards look like in this life and let's walk by faith. Let's look at some of the rewards as, as these saints in the hall of faith received starting in verse 32 and what more shall i say for 
time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, some received rewards in this life and they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back the dead by resurrection. Some received the reward in the next life. And some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were brought in skins of sheep and goat and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens of caves and the earth. Were they failures? Oh, no. They were obedient. And they received a rich reward in heaven. So the responsibility to walk by faith is up to us. And that time is now. And the result is up to God. And that's all his plan. But the key is we walk by faith. Living for an audience of one. We had a, a staff member at one time, and we were sending him out to Florida to start a church. And man, he served our church well. He's a great brother and um, faithful and loyal and modeled Christ to our church family. And so he was going out to start a church in Florida, and, and we all stood up and gave him a standing ovation and on his last day here. And, and I said, um, this applause will quickly fade. And you'll be left to be attentive to only one applause. And that's the applause of heaven. And that's the only way that you're going to endure. Live for the applause of one. Faith brings a smile to the heart of God. Faith is richly rewarded by God. And we see that Jesus talked over and over and over that faith moves mountains. Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And we just looked at what faith is. It's the assurance. It's the confidence that God is going to do what God said that he's going to do. And this brings a smile to the heart of God. And this is richly rewarded. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and it will be yours. When you pray and believe it's going to happen, or when you pray and don't believe it's going to happen, either way, you're probably going to be right. Because God responds to our faith. Which is why it's so important that we we exercise our faith, and we grow our faith, we mature our faith. And you say, well, I don't have a lot of faith. Did you know faith is like a muscle? And faith can be exercised and nurtured and grown. And when when we develop our faith, then it grows and our steps of faith increase. And God, his joy over our life is ever increasing. And we grow our faith by reading the Bible every day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I know I absolutely belabor this point. But if you're joyless, and if you don't have a lot of faith, and if you've got a lot of anxiety, and if you're always fretting and worrying and don't have a lot of the love of Christ in your heart, listen, it's because you're probably neglecting the word of God on a daily basis. 
Or if you are reading the Bible and you don't have a lot of faith or joy, it's because you're probably reading it as a religious obligation instead of a relationship where you're seeking to to, to see God, to hear from God, to know God, to fall more in love with God. But when you read the Bible on a daily basis, with the heart to love God and grow in this relationship with Him, your faith will grow. And faith is multifaceted. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us many case studies. We could spend the rest of the year just walking through Hebrews chapter 11, breaking down the, the faith as case studies of people who walked in faith. From, from Abraham to Moses to Noah to, 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 to David, and the, the list goes on and on and on through this hall of faith. But I thought for the remainder of our time, let's just take the, the founder of our faith, the father of the faith. Abraham, the patriarch of our faith. And let's just break down what faith would look like for us today on a practical level with three action steps, all right? So, here it goes. There's going to be three action steps based on Abraham. And this is taken from his life in the book of Genesis. Hebrews chapter 11 unpacks it, but let's just go back to the source that Hebrews is drawing from, and that's Genesis, um, that's, that's Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. The first action step is this. Let go of your past. Let go of your past. This is when faith began. God looked at a man, Abram. Did you ever wonder why God chose the Hebrews? He didn't choose the Hebrews. He chose a man. When God chose Abram, Abram was as Gentile and pagan as anybody else. But through Abram's lineage, we have the Hebrews. God didn't choose a people. God chose a man. From that man, there's a people who is blessed, and the nations of the world were blessed through him. And God looked at this man, Abram, and he said to him, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your prophets, your father's household, to the land I will show you. There we have it, right there. You see where faith began, letting go of his past. He said, let go of your, your, your father, your relatives, everything that's familiar to you, and follow me. Isn't that what Jesus told his first disciples? Leave everything, your father, your livelihood, everything. Come on, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's not always so easy to leave our past, isn't it? Is it? But we leave our past, and here's the key to leaving our past, in a manner of following Christ in faith. We leave our past by trusting Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection to redeem it and to make all things new. That's how we leave our past as we follow Christ. We leave our pasts by letting go of our past sorrows, trusting that Jesus Christ through his resurrection power will turn our past sorrows into our greatest blessings. This is how we let go of our past. The apostle Paul said, I haven't apprehended I'm saved, I'm perfected forever, but I'm still in this sanctification process. One day I'll be glorified. I'm not perfected yet in the sense that I'm, I'm still growing, but this one thing I've got down, forgetting about those things which are behind. How do we forget about those things which are behind? As Paul did. I mean, he killed the people. He persecuted the church. He threw women and children in prison. He ripped families apart. We trust that Christ will turn our past sorrows into our greatest blessings. Did you know that this is his specialty? This is what he does? This is who Jesus Christ is? I mean, if 
If you look at, at you know, Tiger Woods, you say his specialty is golf. Kobe Bryant, you say, okay, his specialty is basketball. Dak Prescott, okay, his specialty is football. And you look at Jesus Christ, his specialty is turning our past sorrows into our greatest blessings by his resurrection power. This is what he does. This is his specialty. He flung the stars into an infinite space. He called them by name. He, he stacked the mountains 10,000 feet high and, and carved the canyons and filled them with oceans. And he is powerful, but above all, his specialty, who he is, he's the redeemer of our past and turns our past sorrows into our greatest blessings. And this is how we walk in faith, and this is how we let go of our past. We trust him. I don't know how. I mean, it was messy. It was painful. It was hard. It was complicated. It was complex. I failed. I stumbled. I was, I was wronged. I was, I was abused. I, 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 I was a victim. There, there was all sorts of mistakes. There was all sorts of hurt going around. How, how, how do I let go of that? You let go of it by trusting that Jesus Christ will do what Jesus Christ does best. And that's turn that loss into your greatest blessings. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's the life of Joseph, who's one of these um, patriarchs in the Hall of Faith. He was wronged. He was abused. He was mistreated. He was sold as a slave, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, thrown into prison, uh, falsely accused of rape, forgotten in prison. And this season went on for 13 years. And understand this, any pain that you're going through is just that. It's a season. And seasons come and go. But the way that the season of pain blends into a season of our greatest blessings is to let go of our past. And we let go of our past by trusting that God will translate that sorrow into our greatest blessings. As Joseph looked at his abusers and he said to them, who were his brothers, his 11 brothers, and he said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I mean, how can you justify that? How can you excuse that? How can you let that go? By trusting that what Satan meant for evil, God will translate into your greatest blessings. Yeah, let's praise and put your hands together. But not only that, we let go of our past by trusting that whatever was forfeited, we will receive a double portion. Isn't that amazing? I mean, part of the, part of the, the heartache of, of the past is the, is, is the loss that was associated with that past, and many things were forfeited. You, you look at the founder of our faith, the patriarch of our faith, Abraham, and, and his season of pain. He, he was a pilgrim for 25 years, holding on to the promise of God, and in that time, he lost time. He lost years. He lost health. He lost all circumstantial reason to hope any longer. But whatever was forfeited will be doubly replaced by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And we trust this. And we say, well, I I don't know how. But we are never commanded by God to understand how. We are just called to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps. He will make it happen. So what was forfeited in your season of pain? What was forfeited in your season of loss? 
It, it doesn't matter if, if what was forfeited was a result of pain that somebody inflicted upon you, as was the case of Joseph, or if what was forfeited was a matter of your own mistakes and failures, and it's the consequences of your own sin, as was the case when Isaiah was writing to Israel. God's promise is when we let go of our past by trusting that he will give us double portion of what was forfeited, God promises instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Amen. Amen. This is our God. And not only that, but we let go of the past by trusting. And I love this. Our most painful crisis, again, whether it was inflicted upon us by somebody else or inflicted upon us by our own foolishness and waywardness, our most painful crisis will become our most powerful ministry. Isn't that a powerful truth? As Paul writes to the Corinthians, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. The purpose of our pain, whether it was self-inflicted or inflicted upon us by somebody else, the, the, the redeeming, God-honoring purpose of our pain is to receive comfort, is to receive grace in our time of need, then and only then, then and only then do we have comfort and grace and anointing to give to somebody else when they are in their deepest point of need. Your present pain is your future ministry when you receive the healing power of Christ in your life. This is what God does. He makes all things new. So, before we move on to the next two action steps, what past sorrow do you need to trust God to redeem? What past sorrow do you need to trust God to redeem? What past sorrow are you still holding on to? And how do you know if you're still holding on to it? You're still holding on to it if you're not trusting that Christ will bring your greatest blessings out of your past sorrows, a double portion out of all that you forfeited, a powerful ministry out of your most painful crisis. If you're not standing in that assurance, if you're not standing in that confidence, then you're still holding on to your past. And it's time to let it go. Only then can we move forward to walk in faith. So what past sorrow do you need to trust Christ with? Our second action step is to look towards God's promises. You see, faith is not getting God to do something that God never thought of doing before we brought it to his attention. That's not faith. That's very much putting the cart before the horse. That's making God our little servant boy and making us the God. Faith is not getting God to do something that hadn't occurred to him yet. But because we demand it, God says, well, I better respond. That's not faith. That's very backwards theology. Faith is getting God... Faith is, is, is flows. It flows from a, from a relationship with God. And in the context of that relationship, we hear God whisper promises that are consistent with his word into our heart. And then once God has those promises whispered to our heart, then we believe that he will accomplish what he promised. And so we storm the throne room of heaven with boldness because it's God who's filled our heart with the assurance of his promises. And you look through this hall of faith. Nobody ever took a supplication to God that God had never 
previously before considered. The supplications that they stormed the throne room of God and made their requests known with boldness and were fully persuaded that God was going to do what he said he was going to do were the desires that God himself first whispered into their hearts. So faith, again, it flows from a relationship with God. And when we walk with God, God just whispers to our heart, and that's what fills our heart with the assurance and the boldness that God is going to move powerfully. Case in point, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12, back to Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1, and then into 2 and 3. Look at the first statement. This is how our faith begins. The Hebrews' faith, which was the incubator for the Messiah to be born and the hope of the world, it began right here with this statement. The Lord said to Abram. That's where it began. It wasn't Abram saying, God, I got this great idea. And God said, hey, you know what? All right, let's let's, let's do it. Sounds good to me. No, no. The Lord said to Abram. And then God spoke the promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, and here's the messianic prophecy about Jesus. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. It was God breaking in and speaking to his heart. So are you living by faith? Well, let me ask a question behind that question that's even more important. Has God whispered a promise into your heart? Filling your heart with faith. Well, let me ask another question that's before that question. Do you have a relationship with God? Are you seeking Him through prayer and in the Word? And Do you desire to love Him more? Or are you seeking Him? And the greatest way that God rewards those who diligently seek Him is by whispering a promise to His heart, to our hearts. And I would be apps, and I am, in my life, absolutely lost in seasons that I wasn't standing on the assurance of a promise that God whispered into my heart as I sought him in my relationship with him so that I could storm heaven and live by faith. But it begins with the relationship. And if I ever find myself in a season of my life where I'm not functioning by faith and I don't have joy and I don't have boldness and I don't have a conviction that God is going to do something that God whispered into my heart, then I know that I've got to seek him with all my heart. And if I'm still not hearing from him, then that means maybe there's some sin in my life. So I need to start repenting until I hear from him. And if I'm still not hearing from him so that my heart is filled with faith, then perhaps I need to start seeking him more intensely. Maybe he's bringing me up to the next level in my relationship with him. So it's time to fast. So I'll fast three days. And if that's not enough, well, maybe I need to fast 21 days. And we seek him with all of our heart until God fills our heart with the promise and assurance with what he's going to do in our life. And from there, regardless of, convi- regardless of circumstances, regardless of what people might think or say or do, and regardless of how we feel, we storm the throne of heaven praying for what God has already put into our heart and we are fully persuaded that God is going to do what God said that he was going to do this is the life of faith are you listening for God's promises right now have you let go of your past do you have a promise in your heart right now so the third step of faith faith relies on God's power not our power God's power Let's go back to, again, Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, on this initial promise that God spoke to Abram. And I I bolded here in the outline. Who's going to be doing 
the work? Who's going to be accomplishing that promise which was spoken? Emphasis, God says, I will make you. Not you will make yourself. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Who accomplishes the promises that will pour into our heart? God. This is how when Abraham was 75 years of age and his wife was 65 and her womb was barren and they hadn't been able to have a baby their entire life, this is how both of them could have the audacity to believe that God would still give them a promised child, Isaac. And even after 25 years after that initial promise was given to them, this is how now at 100 years of age, they could still have the audacity to believe that they were going to have that child together because they knew that the promises of God are entirely up to God. And this is the point that God wants to bring us all to, a place where we, we entirely exhaust all human, circumstantial, Options to hasten God's promises into reality, but when we still believe God's promises, nothing pleases God more than that, and when he responds, it's more than we could ask or imagine. So let me ask you this. Who are you relying upon to accomplish what God has promised in your life? Yourself, others, or are you relying upon God? So Cassidy, if you would come on up, and um, if you would stand with me, please. This is a very simple sermon. It's a short sermon. But C.S. Lewis said, you know, I don't think that, that the saints need to be instructed nearly as much as they need to be reminded. And perhaps some of you need to be reminded that this relationship with Christ is about what Jesus is going to promise into our heart. And he's going to fulfill everything that he promised. If you would bow your heads with me. Let me just ask you a few questions. Um, are you holding on to your past? Is there some pain in your past that you're still holding on to? Maybe you're beating yourself up over that every single day. Or maybe you think that you're doing God a favor by not allowing your heart to be fully alive with joy. Or maybe you think that you have to cower down and, and walk in timidity because people around you know you maybe a little bit too well. And who are you to be bold? And who are you to have joy? And who are you to act like a real Christian? So your whole Christian walk is timid. Do you need to let go of your past? Maybe somebody has wounded you. Maybe somebody has wronged you. And, and man, you're holding on to it. Here's how we let go of our past. We believe that Jesus will give us beauty for ashes by the resurrection power. He'll redeem our past. He'll make all things new. This is what Jesus does. And whatever was lost, whatever was forfeited in your past whether because you were a victim or because you were foolish and wayward. Whatever, whatever was forfeited in your past, you will receive a double portion when we walk in faith toward God. Do you need to receive that? Do you need to let go of your past? I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand, and I would like to pray for you. Amen. 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 And now I just want to ask you, before I pray for you, are you looking toward God's promises? Do you have a promise in your heart? Is your heart filled with some promise? Then maybe you just need to go back to the basics and remember it's about a relationship. Perhaps you're religious. Perhaps you're ethical. Perhaps you're moral. 
Perhaps you show up for church. Perhaps you tithe. Perhaps you, 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 you lead a home group. But, but that can all be just commotion. What God wants for you is to walk in conviction. That can all just be religious activity. What God wants for you is to be fully persuaded and have the complete assurance that God is going to accomplish what he's poured into your heart. Do you have a promise in your heart? Has God spoken a promise into your heart? And maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to go back to the basics and seek Christ until he pours a promise into your heart and fills your heart with hope based upon, through his word and his character, what he wants to do in you and through you. Because until you have a promise in your heart, you're, you're always going to be indecisive. Um, you're, you're always going to be fearful. You're, you're always um, going to be lacking in joy. So if you need a promise in your life, based upon God whispering into your heart and your relationship with him, just raise your hand. I would just like to pray, for, pray over you on that. All right. And here's where the ride gets really exciting. The promises of God are up to God and can only be accomplished by the power of God. Did you guys realize, and before we pray and close out with song of worship, just look at me for one more moment. You know, you may not realize this, but the first verse, Genesis chapter 12, when God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make your name great when he was... 75 years of age, and that that was Genesis chapter 12, right here. But there's a very famous verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the Apostle Paul quotes it and makes a big argument around it. It was Abraham's salvation experience. It's way over here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And isn't that interesting? Because between Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham first believed that God was going to bless his life with a child, and with he and Sarah's life with a child, right here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and way over here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when God finally said to Abram, you are now righteous in my sight, because Abraham believed God. You know, it's a 25-year gap. 25 years. Yet, it seemed that, that, that Abram seemed to believe here because he left everything and he and his wife went and they tried. And here, here, here's the thing. When Abraham first embarked upon this journey, this journey of faith, you know, maybe he gets five years into it and he thinks, okay, God, I was thinking this is going to be about a 50-50 deal. 50% is going to be my effort. 50%, I really need you to come through here. And he gets five or ten years into it, and he realizes, okay, it's not 50-50. God, I'm going to need you to come through about 60-40. I need you to carry the weight here. You know, five or ten years later, Abram's, you know, however old he is, he's 85, 90 years old, and he's thinking, okay, 60-40 is a little steep, God. I, how about 80-20? Um, I really need you to come through. You know, but it was after Abraham lied, after he tried, after he failed, after his body was completely hopeless of having a child. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham's 100, his wife is 90, and finally God says, you still believe the promise. Look up at the stars and count them. You can't, can you? So shall your offspring be. And Abraham said, okay, God, okay. But it's going to have to be 100%. And I bring nothing to the table. And he still believed. And that's when God credited to him as righteousness. 
And so even as we're followers of Jesus Christ, God takes us through a process until we don't rely on ourselves any longer. We don't rely on our education. We don't rely on our eloquence. We don't rely on our appearance. We don't rely on our knowledge. We don't rely on our material resources. We don't rely on what others think of us. God brings us to the point where we still believe the promise, but we say, God, it's 100% you. You've got to do it 100%. And all I bring to the table is an empty vessel. That's the point that God is bringing us all to. And so if you're in a weakening process, rejoice. Because the Apostle Paul said, and I rejoice in my weakness because His grace is made perfect in my weakness. The weaker I become, the more His strength will be perfected in me. You know, I was really dreading having my arm surgery about three weeks ago, but the one thing I was looking forward to, sounds crazy, the one thing I was looking forward to, I was actually excited about the weakening of my flesh (laughs) because I knew I would grow spiritually during that season. And through the weakening of my flesh, I would have to trust in Christ more. And really the most beautiful thing about all of our sanctification is that God brings us through places so that we're weakened. We're weakened, we're weakened until we come to the place where Abraham was in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, all you, God, all you. I still believe the promises. I still believe, but it's all you. So if you would bow your heads with me. And so with your hands, you know, you, many of you raised your hands on various things. I just want to pray over you. Father, we pray for everybody here that we would walk by faith. Lord, first and foremost, that we would leave the past behind by trusting that you'll make all things new. We'll leave the past behind, trusting that you bring beauty out of the ashes. To you be the glory. You are the God who brings beauty out of ashes. You are the God who allows us to rejoice where there was previously sorrow and grief and regret and fear and failure. This is who you are. This is what you do. You bring beauty out of the ashes. We pray in Jesus' name that everybody could let go of their past by trusting that you will make all things new to you be the glory. And Lord, everybody here, Lord, we want to walk by faith, but it begins with our relationship with you. We pray that you would whisper in the quiet places, whisper in the prayer closet, whisper, Lord, as we diligently seek you a promise into our heart. And if if the old school uh, quiet times don't do the trick, Lord, then we repent. We will look for things to repent of. And Lord, if we're still not hearing from you, then we'll fast. If we're still not hearing from you, then we'll fast for 40 days if need be. Lord, but we want to hear from you. And we pray that you would, through your word, whisper a promise into our heart. And we believe that your promises will be accomplished by your power to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and guys, let's just respond uh, with worship. And this is a closing song, and let's just respond to Christ through worship. And, and let's respond uh, for everything that he's going to do in our life with joy and thanksgiving before he does it. Remember Babe Ruth called the home run before the home run? How cool would it have been if he called the home run after he hit the home run? kind of wouldn't have been the same, huh? And in the same way, if we thank God and praise God before the promise is fulfilled and before the prayer is answered, it's kind of not faith. Let's thank Him in advance now for what He's going to do, how He's going to make all things new. And so let's just thank Him through this time of worship.